In one of the previous episodes, I covered what it takes to be an explorer of the faith, what kind of character you need to benefit the most from your exploration. This week, I want to give you some of the guides and checkpoints I found that really help me in exploring Christianity. And as I've grown in my faith, I've come across a lot of guides and checkpoints that do nothing more than distract from what really matters. The problem is they're popular. Their books flood the Christian market and many Christians are distracted by this from basic biblical Christianity. So to refocus our attention on what really matters, I've found that making God's word the standard and ultimate guide for exploration and looking to guides from the past help us explore the faith in the most consistent and worshipful way. I'm Daniel Clausen, and this is Exploring Christianity. The Christian faith is particularly exclusive. I mean, Jesus said he is the way, the truth, the life. And that's about as exclusive as you can get. Further, we learn that we can only know the things of God if they are revealed to us by God through his spirit that is given to us. That also makes it exclusive, what we are exploring. Many explore Christianity from the outside, either because they're curious about it or they want to dismantle it, but they explore at a disadvantage without some very necessary tools for understanding. And the more I explore and learn and grow, the more I see how misguided these unbelievers are. Now, do I think they're misguided because I'm prejudiced towards Christianity? I don't think so. We are promised and clearly given supernatural help in Scripture to help us understand the divine mysteries of God. It brings me to another question. Could we maybe be lost? There are many denominations, and in those denominations, many differences in theology that give us way too many options and flavors of Christianity to choose from, or so it seems. How do we know what is right? This is where the call to be unprejudiced comes in. But we have to be careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Meaning, we can't just get rid of everything we've ever known about Christianity and start fresh. We build on the good things that we've learnt And we take out the things that are unnecessary or even detrimental to our learning. We don't start afresh every time we start exploring. We want to build what is good and what is right. And above all else, we have to stick to the constant authoritative standard of God's word, letting it speak for itself. That we will find is our best guide for exploring the faith. We don't base our exploration off of what some teacher says or what this person says or or what our parents have taught us. We base it off of God's word. And maybe what others tell us, what our parents have taught us, are good things. Maybe there's some bad things in there. 
We have to continue to stick to God's word, letting it speak for itself, for us, and building our lives on that. That's our best bet on not getting lost. Maybe we are using God's word, but are we exploring the right area in God's word, the right topics? Because every generation, it seems like, and even location, place in the world, has its trending emphasis on one part of the Christian faith. And the problem is it's not always a beneficial emphasis. Take, for instance, a recent movement called the Young, Restless, and Reformed, which took place throughout the year 2000 or so to 2019 or so. Parts of it are still going. But it became a time where growing a beard and wearing a picture of Spurgeon on your shirt was considered cool. And out of it came good gospel-centered focus, and it spread like wildfire, it seemed. But now, social justice, racial equality, and things like that have shifted the attention of many of these leaders that were so crucial to the movement, shifted them away from their gospel-centered ministry, their reformed gospel-centered ministry, toward a more liberal agenda. And it just goes to show that even the good things can be treated as passing fads. I would say the Young Restless and Reform Movement was a good thing for many people, but now this social justice fad is not a good thing. And the reason I say that is because of what I've learned are good tools and checkpoints for Christian exploration. So first, what are the best tools for Christian exploration? Now, I've already covered this, but God's word as the ultimate guide is our best tool for Christian exploration. And the most important piece of advice for how to use this tool I've received is from Spurgeon, who said that no one has to defend God's word from attacks, just as no one needs to defend a lion. You just let it loose and it will defend itself. And, and that translates not just into apologetics, but also into personal study of scripture. The important thing about the Bible is not what the text means to me, not what the Bible means to me personally, at least first and foremost, but what it means apart from me, what it means on its own, what it means in its context. Then I can apply it to my life. Now, using God's word as an ultimate guide, we also are taught, even in the Bible, to use the past as a guide. In Jeremiah 6, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. So, start with the apostles. Start with what they've taught in the New Testament. When I first began exploring the faith, I caught the wave of the Jesus-following movement. Now, I'm not sure if that's actually what it's called, that's what it was for me. It was just about following Jesus. And in a strict sense, it was just about doing what Jesus did. So caring for the poor, serving others, taking down organized religion, those are all part of the game. And my, my zeal was kindled by this fire until I came across the idea that Paul was the greatest interpreter of Jesus. 
and it hadn't occurred to me that the people who really did follow Jesus and who Jesus had specially commissioned to continue his work would maybe know a thing or two about what it meant to follow him. And what I found in the writings of the apostles was a whole lot of doctrine and theology, and it didn't fit with the active do-what-Jesus-did group. And I began to realize that the teachings of Jesus led to the character of Jesus, which led to the actions of Jesus, and that the most important part of following Jesus was to believe in him by faith, through the gospel. I began to see that his time on earth was not to model for us what the perfect person looks like so much, even though he did, but to fulfill the promises of God throughout the Old Testament. And in regards to organized religion, I found that Jesus wants me to be just as concerned for the people within the walls of the church as for the people outside the church. That the people inside the church are not the enemy of Christianity, of Christianity flourishing, of even following Jesus, but that they are there put in place by Jesus for my benefit. I found that the walls of the church are put in place by Jesus, who is the great shepherd, to keep us safe from the wolves in the world. I found that the people outside the walls of the church don't need me to tear the walls down, but to welcome them into the church through Jesus. I found that the word of God gives us faith, not going out there and serving others that brings us faith, not going out there and doing works of faith that give us faith, but that God's word itself gives us faith, creates faith in us, which means that preaching the word, and most importantly, preaching the gospel and listening to that preaching is a very important form of worship. Among the many other things, I found that the gospel is for me at every stage of maturity. From the apostles, we move to the early church fathers, and only recently am I getting to the early church fathers to explore the faith, because every time I looked at them, it seemed like either the Roman Catholics or the Eastern Orthodox both claimed them as their own, that they weren't for me as a evangelical Protestant. But the thing is, the early church fathers have contributed much to the Christian faith. And in light of what we find in scripture, they are really helpful guides to keeping us on the right path. They won't necessarily bring us to Roman Catholicism or even Eastern Orthodoxy, especially when we understand them in their context. I mean, one of the most important things I think we learned from the early church, and I've done a few podcasts on this, is the controversy over the deity of Christ. And it's especially important for us for understanding what it means to really believe in Jesus. Nowadays, we seem to take the doctrine of Christ for granted. We take for granted that Jesus is truly God and truly man. But the problem is we live as though Jesus was more human than God. Because we concern ourselves more with how he relates to us than who he is in himself. And I think we miss out on the blessings that come from understanding the Jesus in whom we believe, that he is a prophet 
telling us the truth of God, that he is a priest who intercedes for us, who became the sacrificial lamb and who atoned for our sin. And he is the king. He rules over us and we must give our lives for his service. And that brings us to the next helpful guides for us, which are the reformers. The Reformation is a goldmine for Christian explorers because it is still fairly recent. It was a world-changing event. It dealt with real and present struggles in the faith, and it gave us good examples to follow and bad examples to avoid. It reclaimed the gospel unlike any other time in history. The issue with the Reformation is that we can get caught up, and we have got caught up, on following only one person, one figure of the Reformation. And two, two examples, I think, one closer to home for myself, uh, are the Mennonites, which I hope to do a historical podcast about Menno-Simons in the near future. The Mennonites are a vast array of types today. We have, we have very, very conservative people, and we have very, very liberal people that that stand under the name Mennonite. And that, I think, is due to the fact that it became more of a cultural movement than a theological movement. And that is a lesson that we find a lot in the Reformation, in a lot of Reformed traditions today that, that stake their past on a person or, or a movement in the Reformation. One that stands out, though, is the Lutherans, because after Luther, his followers tried to mend the broken relationship with the Roman Catholic Church through compromise. And so what they have today is not nearly close to what Luther envisioned for the church. But even with that, I think the Reformation is still valuable for exploring the faith because of, of how it dealt with real gospel issues. And it dealt with them in such a way that cuts to the heart, and especially um, those who came after the Reformers, which were the Puritans, who really sought to live out, to expand and explain what the Reformers taught, and above all, showing us what it means to center your life, to live your life, to commit your life to the teachings of the Bible. And then lastly, and just a short mention, is the revivalists of the 1800s and early 1900s. And I think they're important guides, more so in telling us why we are where we are, than helping us along in growing our faith. Because they have influenced the church more than we often realize, particularly in our tendency towards pragmatism. So those are the guides I have found helpful for exploring the faith. Now I want to share two checkpoints that are all along the way, all along the pathway, but they keep us in check, so to speak. The first is good theology. In J.I. Packer's 1973 preface to his book, Knowing God, he begins with an illustration of two kinds of interests in Christian things. And it is a picture of people sitting on a high front balcony of a Spanish house, watching travelers go by on the path down below. And Packer writes, The balconiers can overhear the travelers talk and chat with them. They may comment critically on the way that the travelers walk, or they may discuss questions about the road. 
how it can exist at all or lead anywhere, what might be seen from different points along it, and so forth. But they are onlookers, and their problems are theoretical only. The travelers, by contrast, face problems which, though they have their theoretical angle, are essentially practical. Problems of the way to go and how to make it type. Problems which call not merely for comprehension, but for decision and action too. Balconiers and travelers may think over the same area, yet their problems differ. Thus, for instance, in relation to evil, the balconier's problem is to find a theoretical explanation of how evil can consist with God's sovereignty and goodness. But the traveler's problem is how to master evil and bring good out of it. Or again, in relation to sin, the balconier asks whether racial sinfulness and personal perversity are really credible, while the traveler, knowing sin from within, asks what hope there is of deliverance. Or take the problem of the Godhead. While the balconier is asking how one god can conceivably be three, what sort of unity three could have and how three who make one can be persons, the traveler wants to know how to show proper honor, love, and trust toward the three persons who are now together at work to bring him out of sin to glory. And so we might go on. I like how some of the older theologians have put it, that Good theology leads to doxology, meaning a good study of the person of God and his works in Scripture leads us to a life of worship and devotion to God. We need to spend time at both vantage points, both in the balcony observing the landscape and layout of the pathways and trails, thinking through the theoretical things of the faith, but also as a traveler, invested in real life, because Christianity is not just an intellectual endeavor, but it is not just a practical endeavor either. Good theology is based on the Word of God, and it's helped along by Christians of the past. Good theology is biblical, and that means it uses the redemptive narrative of Scripture always as a reference point in any book, chapter, or verse we find ourselves we're always looking at the Bible in light of the overarching story. And the gospel is our pathway. And the moment we drift towards workspace righteousness or lawlessness, we drift from the path. Good theology is also consistent. And you know the saying, a broken clock is right twice a day. But that still means the clock is not worth using. And there are many teachers out there who throw ideas, predictions, and whatnot into the wind. And if they're wrong, it's soon forgotten. But if they're right, it seems people flock to them as guides. But our theology must be consistent and whole. If we look at the apostles in Acts, they sought to teach the whole counsel of God. And being consistent has a personal benefit to us. If we are consistent, it means that we are steadfast and sure in God's word. And that brings us rest from the doubts that Satan hurls at us. Good theology leads to doxology. So, good theology leads to good doxology. Um, what good is theology without practice or worship? Just as good as practice and worship are without theology. Jesus tells us we worship God in spirit and in truth, not through our own devices. So, our worship must come from the heart, and it must be full of truth. So, that means it must consist of good theology, and it must come from a heart that truly loves God. 
So I hope this encourages you to explore the faith, the faith that was, as Jude writes, once for all delivered to the saints. And maybe you don't know where to start, or maybe you don't know where to go. But I would say, start with the guides for exploring, and I'm sure you'll find something of interest. But above all, stick to and study the gospel, the story of God's redemption, as much as you can. Thank you for listening to this episode of Exploring Christianity. For more great biblical content, visit thechristianexplorer.org.